0: Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere so you too can have No Vacancies. No Vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hello, everybody. And welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. And today I have on David Huey. He is a full time in software sales, but does real estate investing on the side. And the reason that David and I are talking today is because last week I posted on my Instagram asking if anybody paid off the mortgage on their investment property early I think that in our industry, there is a lot of talk about never pay off your mortgage early, always be rolling that into the next investment, leveraging debt. And I think that that is a logical stance to take. But I also think that there is just a very, uh, I don't know, emotionally freeing place to be when you do not owe anything. And I wanted to get the perspective of somebody who has taken that approach David DM'd me and said, hey, we strategically paid off our place early. And I was like, perfect, let's talk. So that's why David is here today. And you'll hear in this episode, this was extremely controversial. The amount of messages I got that were like, Natalie, what are you talking about? I'm going to talk you out of this crazy idea. Put your money in the stock market instead if you're not going to buy more property. It ruffled so many feathers. So I just want to have a conversation. And I think David is the guy to do that with. So I'll stop rambling. David, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Tell us a little bit about your investment portfolio, how you got into real estate, and then we'll we'll pivot into this topic.
1: Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on. It's cool to yeah. talk about this, and I love what you said. Right? It's there's more than one ways to look at any situation, and I probably, if it weren't for my wife, I would probably be the person that's like leveraged everything I had to buy as many properties at a time as I could. Right? My wife's very risk averse, and uh, she's convincing too. So, okay. Um, <laughs> So you mentioned, like, I do software sales. That's my full-time gig. When we got married, me and my wife, got married in in my 30s, uh, we had both already owned a house. Uh, We moved into her house because her house was nicer than mine, as is probably typical for guys and girls. Uh, (laughs) And uh, we decided to make my property a rental property, or my house a rental property. So that's how I kind of got started in this. We, you know, we went on our, I'll try to make this brief. We went on our honeymoon. (laughs) And uh, went to Antigua. It's my first time even going out of the country. And uh, we came back. I was like, man, that was awesome. We need to plan our next trip. And she was like, you know, I don't think we should go on vacation again. And I'm thinking, wait, what's, is something wrong already? And she was like, as much debt as you and me have, she's like, we don't need to be planning vacations until we figure this out. And so we set out on a journey. And, you know, you have mentioned Dave Ramsey. She's a big Dave Ramsey fan. We set out on a journey to get ourselves out of debt. And I was a little hesitant about how to do it and how aggressive I wanted to be. And our plan was basically, you know, to pay off cards, to pay off student loans, to pay off, you know, personal loans, credit cards, all that kind of stuff. We had, a pro- we had a plan that would get us, that would take us about two years to get out of debt. Everything but the mortgages, right? Because we both had a mortgage in our house. And we ended up getting very aggressive with it. Once things started getting paid off, I was like, let's, let's pay off something else. Let's not go out to eat tonight. Let's throw that out a credit card, that kind of thing. And we ended up being debt-free, again, except for the mortgages, in nine months. So we really accelerated the timeline. But at that point, it was like, hey, we had already allocated X amount per month to pay off all this other stuff, the cars, the credit cards, and all that stuff. So we started dumping it on the rental property, or on our, our own mortgage, on our house. Your and, primary home. Yeah, on our primary house. And it took us a few years. I think it probably took us seven years, but we paid off our house completely. Uh, so the house that I own in Atlanta is completely paid off. It's debt-free. And then after that, then we said, why don't we pay off this rental property as well? So had a, had a, had a renter in there. And this is a long-term rental, not a short-term rental. Okay. And so basically what we did is we stacked it. All that money that we've been paying on credit cards, on debt, we continued to have that in our monthly budget. So that went on to the, on to the mortgage of the rental property. The money we were putting on our mortgage on our primary property also went on that mortgage. Plus, whatever rental income we had, we put that on the property as well. And in about, a, I think it took us about a year and a half at that point because um, i had our, I'd already owned the home for a few years. We paid that one off. Then at that point, I said, let's go get a beach house. So we bought a beach house. Uh, So So at this point you
0: had zero debt.
1: Yeah, we had zero debt. None at all. So the only bills we had are insurance, groceries, food, travel. That's it. Me and my wife both work. I am in software sales. She's the COO at a startup. So we're doing okay. Right. We to by a beach house, bought a beach house in the panhandle of Florida, just after the pandemic. And the idea was to kind of make it a rental property. Uh, Maybe we'd go down there on free weekends, that sort of thing. And, what we ended up doing was due to, due to Florida not having personal st- or not having state taxes, we ended up becoming Florida residents. So we actually live here half the year. So okay. we came down after Labor Day. Uh, we stayed through the winter. We act like we're old people and all our neighbors and relatives are, you know, eight year old people from Wisconsin and Minnesota, and they're great. We love them to death. But, and then we ran out the place during the summer and we okay. do it through, we do it, uh, through Airbnb. We, have, we do Verbo as well. I don't get many listings through that. It's primarily Airbnb that we do but we continued to stack that debt. And so we bought the place. First thing we did was we saved up that money that we were putting on the mortgage of those different properties, as well as that other income that we had or the other income that we had allocated towards debt relief. And we saved up for a down payment. So put a big down payment on the place down here. I think we had to put 30% down on a beach place in the panhandle. was it cheap, but we saved up for that. And yeah, so we rented out during the summer and we continued to stack that debt up. So it's still like the money that we'd allocated for debt the money that we had allocated for the mortgage of our, on our house, the rental income on the long-term rental, plus whatever we make in short-term uh, income in the summer is all going towards that. Uh, so we've owned the home for, I'm looking at my calendar, ju- almost two and a half years now. Uh, January will be two and a half years. And it's already, I think it's 60% paid off.
0: Wow. And do you, when you're living there for the six months, yeah. what, it's going to be like six months and one day, right? Exactly. <laughs> when you're living there during that time, are you renting out your primary home?
1: So we do, we actually do have somebody there now. That's just a, uh, it's just a personal friend that needed, that needed a place to stay. So they stay in a guest room. So I'm getting a little income on that this year.
0: Okay. And, uh, so got the,
1: it. it was funny. We actually had someone there last year. Uh, it was a friend of ours that was uh, moving out of an apartment, planning to buy a house, needed a place to stay for a couple months. We're like, Hey, use our house. This year we have a friend who's a pilot friend and we're close to the Atlanta airport. So that's kind of his crash pad. He's there a couple of nights a week. So yeah.
0: Okay. I I really like your strategy because I, like I said, I've been consuming a lot of Dave Ramsey content. The YouTube algorithm has been feeding it to me. And I really, I just, I cannot argue with just the logic of like, pay your debt off, you know, (laughs) like the common sense there. But it's so against everything that I have, every conversation I've ever had on this podcast is like, oh, how to get an FHA loan and put the smallest amount possible down and just keep as much money as possible for your renovations and stuff. And then as soon as you make some money, roll it into the next investment. It's just so different from everything that I feel like I've I've been ingrained to think. And the one thing where I do, I personally just feel that Dave Ramsey goes too far is he says, if you're going to buy investment properties, only buy them in outright cash. And I feel like you're just going to be saving up forever to do that. And so I like that you're still actually using loans. You're, you still have a mortgage on your investment property, but now you can kind of control, like, let's pay this off earlier and stack more of the money on top. So I really, I do like your approach.
1: I think I would agree with this philosophy more if I didn't have, I think maybe that's if you don't have, or if you still have a mortgage on your on your property, right? Sure. So you already got one mortgage, and then he's saying, and then now you're going to add a second, just you could have a vacation property or a, mm-hmm. a rental, like, then it probably makes sense to probably pay cash for it, right? If you still have a mortgage on your primary. I'm okay with, and, and again, my wife is okay with having some risk and having one mortgage. There's been, so we've been married just over 14 years now. There's been two different times in the 14 years when we've both been laid off at the same time. And so wow. it's a scary idea to think, hey, I have two or three mortgage payments and neither one of us have a job. Mm-hmm. And We're both in the tech space, right? And tech space is very volatile. There's great years and there's like really crummy years. So when you're in one of those crummy years, like let's say you're saddled down with five, $6,000 in mortgage a month. And you don't have a job, like what do you do at that point? And so that's been our philosophy. Is let's just stack those things up, let's pay it off. And as soon as we pay off this next one, then we'll move on to the next year, pay off the one we're in now, we'll move on to the next one. Is there a faster way to maybe build some more wealth? Maybe, but it's 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 worked for us. I, I think I, the other thing that you gotta you, you were gonna say something. I think the other thing that you always have to figure out is that amortization calculator, right? So if you look at a house, let's say you're spending half a million bucks on the house. If you put that on a thirty-year term, especially the interest rate you're getting on investment property right now, that's probably eight, eight and a half percent. What are you going to end up paying for that house over the next thirty years? Mm-hmm. As you're going to take that that five hundred thousand is going to end up being one point two, one point three million, maybe more, depending on it, depending on how you pay that off. And so, like, could you make that money in the stock market or on another rental property? Sure, but I've also saved eight hundred thousand dollars.
0: Yes, I I agree. I think if your if your rate is higher than what do we say? Like average returns in the stock market in the long run is going to be about 8% factoring in inflation. Yep. So if your rate is higher than 8%, I think most people would could logically say, yeah, okay, pay off the mortgage first. You're not going to get better returns than that by being in the market. What would you say when you have a mortgage rate that is lower than what you could get? 5%, 4%. Yep. I won the lottery and our mortgage is two and a quarter. <laughs> and so it's like, wow, would I really want to want to like pay that off early when I know I could make so much more in the stock market? What would be your your response to that?
1: So the rate that we have, we bought in 2021 uh, was amazing. We have three and an eighth on an investment property, which is pretty solid, right? Can I get 8% in the market? I mean, I probably, I manage a lot of my own investments as well, right? I probably get about 10%. But for me, that peace of mind is worth a lot more than that. Again, I don't want to be in a position to where like I'm saddled down with thousands and thousands of dollars in mortgage payments that I got to come up with. I'm either going to completely destroy my credit or put, you know, put myself in a position where I'm having to sell houses or can't buy groceries because of the decision that I made. I'm still saving a good chunk of my income. You know, I say, I think we save 15% that we put into 401ks and that sort of thing every year, 401ks, other investments. So I'm not too worried about it. I think it it helps you stay diverse, right?
0: And were you doing that? Were you setting aside that 15% the entire time while you were paying off debt? Or as soon as you finished, that's when you started to beef up debt?
1: We set aside and didn't put any money into any investments while we had consumer debt. And when I, when I say consumer debt, I mean anything besides a mortgage.
0: Okay. So Credit cards, cars, student loans.
1: All that kind of stuff, right? So okay. I did not invest. Now, could you like, you know, you look at the difference, what it could be like, yeah, maybe you're up a few grand, but I'm also freeing up literally thousands of dollars every month in available cash flow once those things are paid off.
0: Yeah, I I have to say the first time actually that I started thinking about this was a few months ago on this podcast when I had Avery Carl on. Uh, the one and only. And at the end of that interview, if anyone listened to that one, I asked her what her strategy moving forward is because her and her husband own, I think, 250 doors. (laughs) And I asked her, are you like satisfied with this or do you want to keep growing? And she was like, I think at this point we just want to pay off what we have. Mm -hmm. And the way she phrased it really stuck with me. She said, you know if we have a $2500 monthly payment on something we pay that off we gave ourselves a $2500 raise Absolutely. in in rental income and just the way she like summarized it so succinctly i i kind of stopped viewing it as like i think before that i always thought oh man why would i sink money into paying this thing off earlier and earlier and just that point of clarity of like wow you're literally giving yourself a raise by removing that completely i i think i agree with you like i like this strategy a lot And what would be your thought? Because I knew you paid off your primary home before you went for another investment property. So I'm in a position where we have a mortgage on our primary home, and then we own one rental property. And I'm kind of debating, like, do I want the peace of mind of paying off my own primary home first? Like, that would just be the most freeing thing in the world. But also, if I can pay off the investment property first, that's the one that I actually make money off of. I don't know. How did you guys make that decision?
1: I think if you once you own the home, they can't take it away from you. Right. Mm-hmm. And if there's one home that I don't want to lose, it's probably the main house that I live in. And like if I lose my investment property, like, yeah, it sucks. It's gonna cost me some income. Am I in the best place financially? Probably not, but at least I have a place to sleep. So that's kind of why where I made the decision. That's why we made the decision to pay off the home that we lived in before the other long-term rental.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you said you put thirty percent down in your new investment after you were debt free, you put thirty percent was that your choice because you were going into that thinking you wanted to pay it off faster?
1: No, it was due to the location that we are like right on the water, and it was oh, quite, it's like
0: a hurricane risk or something. Yes, it's more.
1: hurricane risk. Like we're literally like we're all, we're in a condo that's on the beach. Like you walk downstairs, you're standing in the sand. It's a beautiful place here, right? But it was also a few months after. Remember the condo that collapsed down like in the Miami area. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a result, like. All the insurance companies freaked out and usually it was 20% is what they were charging. We could not find a mortgage company uh, to write it for less than 30%. So we were planning, we had enough money saved up for 20% da- down. Thankfully, once we figured this out, like we were able to move some things around and come up with another 10%, but yeah, that was not okay. Right.
0: Yeah. And that when you said it's currently 60% paid off, yes, do you sure. know about when you'll you'll pay that off?
1: I'm hoping in the next probably two and a half years is my goal.
0: Okay. And then immediately, would you save up for the next 20% on another investment property?
1: Okay. Yep. Okay. That's that's the plan. You know, and it's all kind of part of the long, long-term long retirement strategy. I wouldn't say it's real long, but my goal is I would like to stop working at 50. My wife's a good bit young. She's seven years younger than me. And she's told me when I quit working, she's quitting too. And uh, <laughs> she will not continue to work, but I'm not working. So that, the goal is to, to be able to kind of split the income that, that we're going to need, right? When we retire, and I want half that to come from the stock market, uh, so I, you do. I do want those investments, right? So it's a mix of four hundred one k as well as personal investments. Because if you hit your four hundred one k before you turn sixty seven, you're going to pay a penalty on that coming out, right? And
0: mm-hmm. so
1: it's a mix. So we split the way we invest between the four hundred one k and between just the normal accounts that that we're managing. So you, we want half the income to come from that, and the other half to come from rental properties. So that's kind of our long term plan. So that'll be from whether that's short term rentals, long term rentals, that kind of thing.
0: Do you, I'm not sure you own in where was it? Georgia and then Florida for That's your investment. Right. In Two in
1: Georgia, one in Florida. Yeah.
0: Two in Georgia, one in Florida. What are the property taxes there? Cause I'm in California and our taxes are still, I think we just paid across both properties like eleven thousand dollars for the year. And I'm like, great, even after we pay all of this off, there's still so many expenses.
1: Thinking, I don't know what the I don't know what the percentage rate is. They kind of keep sneaking up as property values go up. Yeah. But it's across the three properties, I would say we're probably close to where you are. We're probably at 10, 10, 12.
0: Okay. Okay. So in your vision of like retirement, you're going to be fully debt free, but how are you estimating the cost of living that you'll have? This has actually been very tricky for me because my husband and I now we're talking about paying off our house early and we're like, man, we think we could do it like by, I just turned 30 and we're like, we think we could do it by 40, maybe, maybe earlier, but pay off all of our mortgages and debts, everything by forty. And I'm like, after that, how do we calculate what we need to live? Like, I've always just had bills to pay. It's like, it's hard to even imagine calculating a cost of living without factoring that. But I know we'll still have utilities and property taxes, insurance, all of that. So what are your spreadsheets? So there's cost of living
1: calculators. And a lot of people say like, hey, you should have 80% of what you needed when you're working. Well, you also got to think about when I was working, I also had a mortgage and I had two car Mm -hmm. payments. And I had, you know, just the debt that everybody has. And so, when we look at it, we probably need about half of what we're making now to actually live off of, which is, a, we're, we're a good place to be, right? Because right now, mm-hmm. we're taking that money, we're saving it, you know, we're putting it into the market, we're putting it into 401ks, we're putting it down on, you know, additional money down on the investment property. And so, if you don't have those bills to pay, you're not still trying to fund the 401k, what do we really need? And it's probably, it's probably actually about a third of what we make now, we can live off of, and so I think what you can probably do is you can say, you know, what are my base bills? You know, it's your food, your utilities, your property taxes, your property insurances, your, you know, you, you, know, you, you want to have some kind of fun when you're retired. You don't want to just sit around in the house all day and watch TV. <laughs> so it's like, I want to have some money to travel. I want to be able to go out to eat. I want to be able to spend time with my friends. So you figure out what that is, right? And then you can run that through just a inflation calculator, and it'll pretty much tell you what you're going to need long term. There's some great, I love uh, Nerd Wallet. Is a great resource, just a website. And I'm sure you, and I think you've probably talked about it before, but, or at least heard of it, but it's a, um, all kinds of different financial calculators, whether it's like calculators to figure out if I want to pay my mortgage off early, how much I need to invest to retire. And most of those will have little kind of, little sliders that you can say like, hey, this is what I want the inflation rate to be. This is what I think I can make in the market. The numbers that I use, I use 8% on my investments. I think I can usually make more, but I think 8% is a good rule of thumb. You're going to have some years, like last year really sucked and you know lost 10%. Uh, mm-hmm. you're gonna have other years like 2021 where you're like, Hey, I was up 30% in the market. Right. Yeah. So it's just, but 8% is pretty good across the board. Inflation. I'm putting it at 3%. Of course, you're going to have years like last year that it was like seven or 8%, but then you're going to have years where there's not much at all. So I think, I think 8%, 3% are pretty good rule of thumbs. Okay.
0: Okay. I have a question. You, you opened this episode by saying that if it weren't for your wife, you probably would be one of those people just leveraging a bunch of debt and thinking you can use more debt to make more money. What did your wife specifically say that stuck with you or how did she get you on board with this
1: vision? So I think it was, it was really kind of the story that I lo- led off with, right? Where I was like, I don't think we need to go on vacation again until we paid this off. So that was one of the things where she was like, we're going to go spend whatever it is to go you know, fly down to the Caribbean, go stay in an all-inclusive or someplace like that for a week. When we have credit card payments, we got car payments. Like, this is, it's kind of goofy. And we're going to continue to build up interest and pay even more for those things if we don't get it paid off soon. So that was it. Another thing is, like, I really, like, I really believe in generosity. So I, I didn't mention this, but I run a nonprofit on the side. nonprofit nonprofit's called Hungry for a Day. And our mission really is just about inspiring generosity in people. And we do some amazing things. We just, we just two weeks ago, announced that we fed over 45,000 people a Thanksgiving meal this year. Oh, my um, gosh. So, yeah, so it's pretty cool, right? So we just, you know, and I was the kind of person that when I would go out to eat with friends, it's like, I wanted to pick up the tab right? Because my, that was just kind of my heart. It was, you see someone that was struggling. You want to be able to help them out. You heard, heard about someone's a washing machine, washing machine, bro. You want to be able to like, Hey, here's, here's some money to go buy a washing machine. And we came across a couple of situations like that when we first got married and she was like, you can't do that. And I was like, what do you mean? I can't, of course I can. And she's like, no, you have credit card payments. You have a car payment and you're giving someone else 800 bucks to buy a washing machine. Like that's dumb. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm,
0: la- I'm laughing because this is exactly me and my husband. Like, he yeah. is the one who wants to pick up the tab for everybody. He'll go out with friends. And I have to tell him, like, Eric, you are not buying everybody a round of beers tonight. Like, That's right. we have debt. Stop it. And then he comes back and he's like, I just I just wanted to. They're all such good guys. So we had, uh, we we had, had this. We had a chat conversation last
1: night. She was like, why did you pick up the tab? When was <laughs> those people? She's like, number one, they make way more money than us. and. <laughs> And she was like, and when's the last time they picked up the tab for us? And I was like, I don't care. I was just trying to be nice, right? And, uh, but it was kind of like, she had that, she's like, you can't be doing this when you have this debt because it's a bad use of your money. And we're going to end up paying double for these credit cards because we're spending money on, I wouldn't say generosity is a dumb thing, but I think it's not wise when you're saddled with a bunch of personal debt. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it was kind of that internal pressure to like, hey, let's not help people until we help ourselves. And once we're in a good position, you know, now we actually have in our budget like we actually give away like my budget is 5% of my income I just give it away. Now a lot of that's already allocated because I'm giving and I'm giving monthly at our it just comes it automatically comes out of the budget each, or out of the bank account each month, right? I'm giving to certain nonprofits, churches, that sort of thing, things that I believe in. Uh that are doing good things, given to our own nonprofit. But what we save some of that money just goes into basically into a fund each month that like when we hear about a need, we can say like you know, like I heard this, su- this summer about a story of someone who was another one of those appliance things, right? A friend of ours, like their dishwasher broke. And I was like, hey, we should buy a dishwasher. And she like looked at she goes, well, we got 500 bucks in that account. I was like, okay, we're going to give them 500 bucks. Is that going to buy the whole dishwasher? I don't know, but here's 500 bucks. I know it'll help. So we already yeah. had the money set aside. And uh, so just, I think just having this level of financial accountability for yourself helps you realize like where are we actually going to invest in, right? And for us, it's important. Like, we want to invest in our own future because I want to retire early. Uh, but we, all, we also want to invest in things that we believe in. And if you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants, like throwing money to where it makes you feel good or something emotionally tugs on your heart, you may be making a decision that puts you in a really bad place.
0: I'm really glad you talked about this because one thought I've had is if we do start to like really aggressively pay this off and you know and just put everything towards it and do whatever the debt snowball debt avalanche something like that I almost worry that it's gonna train my behavior like too much to the point where when we're done I uh, like we'll never go on a vacation we'll never enjoy our life I'll be 65 by the time I'm like okay let's go to Italy or do something you know or or when do you I don't know. I'm just, I don't want to ever get to the point where I'm like too greedy and it's just everything is like just on my debt, just on my debt. And that's it. So was it like a difficult transition for you to like say we're debt-free and now we want to give back? How did you come up with that 5% rule? And then I know also you're still planning to continue investing and buying more properties. So do you feel a tug of like, well, we got to save to pay this guy off and then it's the next down payment?
1: So I think there's different ways to look at that, right? I, I don't feel as compelled or I, d- okay. So how do I make that transition? Right. That's probably the first question to ask. Right. And I think, and, and I know a lot about the Dave Ramsey thing, cause my wife actually like, she teaches a class. Uh, she does it both with our church, teaches the class. And then she also has it. They also have a corporate program as well, where they take a lot of the faith stuff out and they actually run it through. Like, so she runs it at her company as well. So I'm, more familiar with it than I want to be sometimes. But uh, <laughs> one thing he talks about a like, lot is- this...
0: to... I'm just trying to get out of debt. I don't need to know all these <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's
1: right. One thing he talks about is gazelle intensity, right? And so he talks about like, you need to be super aggressive at the beginning
0: I'm uh, not eating rice and beans, David. Like, I'm not. I, I have more life I want to live, okay? I'm not doing that.
1: <laughs> so you got to go to New Orleans. One of my favorite things to eat in New Orleans is red beans and rice. And once you learn to do that, add the eat sausage into it. It's one of my favorite things. And every now and then my wife is like, oh, yeah, I'm
0: if I put some it. sausage in there and then have a beignet after, that's a different that's right. conversation. But
1: <laughs> it's <pretty> good, right? <laughs> But it's But it's having that gazelle intensity at the beginning when you get excited about it, right? So you line up all your things. Like, hey, I had X amount of credit cards. I had. Th- I got a car payment or two car payments that I got to pay off. I have, you know, maybe it's a personal loan. Maybe it's a student loan. And you stack up all the consumer debt. And I think it's it's good to look at it from a couple of different perspectives. Know my balances on all those. And I also need to know, what am I paying per month on each one of those? So you stack that up and maybe like, maybe say collectively I own $50,000 on this stuff or 100000 or whatever that is. But it's also costing me, you know, $2,472 per month. So you know that. So now you know, Once I get these things paid off, I have cash flow of an additional twenty four hundred seventy two dollars every month. Heck, I could buy another property just on that. If you want to get crazy with it, right? And so, so what you do is like the Dave Ramsey method is take my lowest balance. I'm going to pay that off first. Now it's the same way. Just like people are going to protest and they're going to get like when you made this post on Instagram and everybody got mad at you and be like, (laughs) put your money in a different way. You can make eight percent in the stock market. You're only making seven and a quarter. You know you're. Your house rates only seven and a quarter. Like you Two and a quarter. Two seven and a quarter. Five. Right. <laughs> and that's what people do, right? They, they start counting pennies. But the, and I think the way, the reason that Dave has it set up like this is if you want to look at it from a mathematical perspective, what you should do is say, like, well, this credit card has an 18% rate. And then my car has a 12%. And I have a student loan that has a 9%. And you should pay it off in the highest order mathematically, right? Right. The problem with and I think
0: that method is the debt avalanche. Right, a, when you stock it by interest rate, interest rate. first.
1: And a lot of people okay. believe that. If you want to, you know, the problem with that is it takes a lot of discipline. Because a lot of times that loan that has that 18% rate is probably pretty big. And so mm-hmm. if, I, if I try doing that one first, I'm probably going to get frustrated in my debt payoff. And I'm going to quit. I'm not going to stick with it. But when I pay off that smallest balance, okay, so let's say, okay, I owe... 900 bucks down at the discount tire on my store credit card. And I'm paying a hundred bucks a month on that. Well, once I pay that off, that 900 bucks, well, now I got an extra hundred bucks a month free. So now I can take that, I can stack that on that next credit card. And now like, okay, I got a little momentum here. Mm -hmm. So then let's say the next thing is like, hey, let's say I have a personal loan for $2,000. It doesn't have that high of a rate, but like I'm putting 250 bucks a month on this one. So now I pay that one off. I come up with that $2,000 in my debt payoff method. Well, now I have an extra three hundred and fifty dollars a month. The hundred bucks from the tires, the two hundred fifty bucks from the personal loan. Well, now I got an extra three hundred fifty bucks. Well, now when I'm paying off my car, that's like let's say that's six hundred bucks a month. Now I'm paying nine fifty a month instead of six hundred a month on my car. Now my car is going to pay it off quicker. And you start to stack those things up, and you gain. And that's why he calls it the snowball method. Is like right. you start it gets bigger, and you start gaining momentum. And, and you're still
0: maintaining yeah. minimum payments on every single debt, but you pay off the smallest one first and roll yeah, those one into the bigger. Okay.
1: so now at the end of this, right now I got so whatever that time frame is to pay that consumer debt off. Like I said, ours was 24 months. We ended up doing it in nine months.
0: That's incredible. Because Congrats. we got excited about
1: it, right? Yeah. You know, it was kind of like, you know, we got. I remember, like, the first year we filed taxes, married. It was like, oh, we got more back on our taxes than we would have ever thought because it's a different tax rate. Mm-hmm. So now we're like, we had an extra few thousand dollars for like, well, let's go pay something off. So now we got an extra, whatever that was, 300, 400 bucks a month. And he got excited about that. You know, like, like I'm in commission sales as a software salesperson. Like I had a decent sized deal come through and it's like, Hey, I got an extra few thousand dollars here. Let's put that on something. And it stacked up really quick. And we got excited about it. And it was, you know, and I kind of mentioned this briefly, but it was, we had one night where we were supposed to go some kind of like movies in the park thing where it's an outside thing. It got rained out. And so I had an extra 50 bucks in my pocket that I was going to spend rather than rescheduling it. We're like, you know, why don't we just put that on a credit card right now? Because you get excited about that because that snowball's happening. And so, and I think that if we would have attacked something like, you know, like I, I had a student loan that had like $20,000 in it. If I would have attacked that first, I probably would have got, I probably, you know, I probably would have like stalled out at some point. Yeah. Because that one had, you know, because it had, you know, it had that high balance it had that high number on there, but you, you get that momentum. So then at that point, so, and I'm a full believer in that, like, hey, go eat rice and beans. Maybe you don't eat rice and beans, but hey, you add the sausage into it, right? (laughs) But but it's, do we, you know, you look at how much you spend. And, you know, one key thing is before you start paying off this debt is you, you go through a budgeting process. You find out how much I'm actually spending per month on every single thing. You put your whole life into a category and you start looking at how much you spent on going out to eat. Like, I get it. Groceries are going through the roof. It costs a lot to go, just, you know, go down to the Publix or whatever your grocery store is. but you think about how much my spending going out to eat? Like you said, your husband buying a round of drinks, uh, that kind of thing, and it adds up really quickly. And so then you're like, could we cut this in half? Like, we still got to eat. I still got to feed the family. I still got to feed the kids. But can we go out to eat like half as much as we do now? And like, all right, great. We just freed up another 300, 400 bucks a month. Well, now, now that adds up quickly. Now I can go pay off a credit card. Now I can go pay off whatever. And mm-hmm. if, so it's figuring out how much you're spending. Then you're figuring out how you're going to pay that debt off and I think you got to live frugally through that time, right? And it's, do we really need you know 120 channels of cable? Maybe not for the next nine months. So once you get through that consumer debt, so you asked about the transition. This is, this is my long way of answering that question, right? Once you get through that and you're like, all right, the consumer debt's paid off. Now what you can do is you can say, let's go back and revisit the budget. And you know, let's say your husband, Eric, says, you know, I really do want that 120 channels of cable back because I really like watching football on Saturdays Sundays. It's like, you know what? We just freed up $2,400 a month in our budget. Like, okay, you can spend an extra 60 bucks on the cable. Okay, I still got 2412 left, right? It's okay. And you know what? Maybe that, you know, and maybe we're going to put another 300 bucks a month in the restaurant account now. And so you go back and you go reevaluate. So, And maybe you're willing to live frugally for nine months or two years or whatever that may be because you're serious about putting yourself in a better financial position long-term. And then you reevaluate your budget. And now you're like, you know what? I went from again the example of twenty four twelve, yeah. Now I like I still have eighteen hundred bucks a month, free cash flow. I'm back to a lifestyle that I enjoy. What am I going to do with this extra eighteen hundred bucks? Maybe it's another property. Maybe it's paying off. Maybe you decide to pay off your, you know, your primary residence. I don't know what that is. And I think I don't think there's a wrong answer. I think it's a what gives you peace of mind. My wife gets really stressed out when she has debt, right? And it's, for us, it was paying off the home. I think some people may say like foot on the gas, let's go buy, get another, let's get a rental property. But I think people make a lot of really goofy decisions just based on the amount of consumer debt that they have.
0: All right, hosts, can we keep it real for a sec? Are you absolutely fed up with constant changes from third-party booking platforms switching up your listing ranking randomly? Well, I've got a secret weapon for boosting your bookings and increasing guest loyalty. Introducing StayFi, your ultimate tool for gathering guest information, guest marketing, and fostering brand loyalty. How does it work? Have you ever visited a coffee shop where you enter your email in order to get on the Wi-Fi? StayFi operates the exact same way. Every single guest, not just the one who made the booking, has to provide their information when connecting, so you can start building your email list to stay in touch with every guest you've ever hosted. Stafi provides you with advanced email and text marketing tools to communicate with that growing contact list. As you cultivate your thriving list of subscribers, one quick email or automated series can turn into dozens of bookings where you are not relying on your OTA's algorithm. Impressive, right? So use code NOVACANCY for an exclusive 50% off your first three months with Stafi. It's not just about attracting new guests, it's about transforming one-time visitors into lifelong customers. Don't wait any longer to start building that contact list and use code NOVACANCY today to kickstart your guest loyalty program with StayFi. To lock in your StayFi discount and start cultivating your engaged guest list, go to stayfi.com slash no vacancy and watch your booking soar. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. So in your case, you're, you're saying like nine months was your gazelle intensity, right, to pay off everything. But Technically, was it longer because if you did the debt snowball, you actually didn't stop spending that much money towards debt, right? You rolled it into the next payment. So am I understanding that right? So how oh, many oh. months or how many years was it like really, really like extreme frugality for you?
1: No, So, so we planned on tw- we planned on 24 months, right? And I would say okay. it wasn't extreme frugality because I was not willing to cut back, you know, like the cable. I wasn't willing to cut back okay. to it at the budget. And we were saying... What do we have in our budget now that's just kind of dumb stuff that we're buying that we can cut out? Maybe we can, you know. And so once we started paying things off, though, then I got more. I I, I guess I got more that it was infectious, right? I got that from her, that gazelle intensity. And then we started living more frug- frugally. So the original plan was 24 months. We ended up paying off all consumer debt in nine months.
0: That's incredible. <laughs> So okay, so from there, so you were done with the nine months, and then that's when did you immediately pivot to paying off your mortgage, or did you give yourself a break?
1: You know, you know, what we did. We went on vacation because remember I got banned from going on vacation, so we went. So we took a month. And we went on vacation, right? We took. We, we probably took us a couple months to save up, for, and I remember we went to Mexico. We went on an anniversary trip to Mexico, and we did an all inclusive. We flew down there, so whatever that cost, it probably took us a couple months of, of saving up that extra money to be able to afford that trip. Then we reevaluated, right? We went back and looked at our budget. And we said, okay. Let's and that's when we decided to attack our primary residence.
0: Okay. Okay. So I like the phases that you did it in. So, cause I know a lot of people talk about like debt consolidation. Should we just lump this all into one loan and everything? And I think with that, I don't know. I, it's kind of what you talked about. It's like, it's just demoralizing. You see like a total amount of $700,000. It's like, how do we even begin to tackle this? But yeah, you have the 11,000 you owe here, the 20,000 here. Like you can you can chip away at that. And then when you were done with consumer debt, that was the end of phase one. You went on vacation and then you came back and regrouped and paid off the home.
1: Another thing that we did is we kind of tried to reward ourselves along the way. So if we paid off, like you pay off a $900, let's say it's a store credit card or something, right? Do something nice for yourself. Like you're, you're, eating, you're, 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 living sort of, you've committed to a frugal lifestyle for the time it takes to pay off this consumer debt, but you just paid off a $900 loan. It's, it's only one thing. It's not a lot. But hey, that was still whatever was 50 bucks a month or something now. Maybe take that 50 bucks and reward yourself. Like go out for dinner, right? Go out for ice cream. Because you did something nice for yourself. Something that was not part of your frugal budget. And then it's like, all right, now we paid off, I don't know, we paid off a car. We owed, we had nine grand left on this car we paid that off. Great, let's go out for a really nice meal this month. Let's, you know, how much was that car payment? We're paying three, you know, 400 bucks a month or something. Let's take one month of that, that and let's go celebrate. Let's go do something nice for ourselves. And then we'll start taking that other 400 bucks and put it on the next thing. And maybe that even stretches out your timeline another month or so. But having those milestones along the way, like for me, it was, I'm like you, like, I'm not eating rice and beans for two years. I'm just not (laughs) doing it, (laughs) right? And you have those little kind of milestones those small things. And again, like you pay off a grand. Okay, great. Let's go out for ice cream, right? We can pay off a grand today. But like we pay off a car. Great. Let's go have a nice dinner. Do you have, I know you mentioned Nerd
0: Wallet, but specifically for paying off debt, did you have a spreadsheet or a tool you used? And before I let you answer, I'll jump in here. So we just, I, I still am like evaluating our mortgage because our, again, our interest rate is so good on it that I'm like, it's still tough for me to like want to put everything towards that. But at least for right now, we are making a plan to pay off our Airstream early. We did get a 15-year mortgage on that. And our interest rate is like 5.6%. So I know maybe I could still technically make more in the stock market, but my thought is too, even if I were to take that money and put it in stocks, I still have to pay taxes when I pull that out. And by the end, I don't know if I'm really even coming out on top with a 5.6%. So for right now, we're paying off our Airstream and I put together a spreadsheet and I am actually, it's been two months of trying to like aggressively pay this off. My goal is to do it by end of like 2026. And maybe earlier, but it was 15-year mortgage, so I'll be happy with that. And it is so much fun now. So I just was going to buy a brand new eye cream, and it was like an $80 eye cream, and I was like, I don't need it. I still have an eye cream left. I just want this one. I don't need it. And I put the 80 bucks towards the Airstream payment, and uh-huh. it shaved off like a month in the end. And I was like, what the heck? Like That was all it took to shave off a month of my 15 years? And after that, I got so energized, like I have so much fun. Eric will tell me like, hey, I was going to go to in and out on the way home. I did it. And I'm like, 15 bucks, it's going here. And it is, it's like a little game now. And I just keep yeah. seeing the Excel spreadsheet, like, the list of rows gets shorter and shorter and shorter. So that has been so much fun for me. I'm like competing with myself, like every time we shave off a month of this thing. So what what worked for you? And maybe I can link that spreadsheet in the show notes too, if anybody's in this boat. Cause that to me has so far been the biggest motivator, like just seeing the numbers. And every time I update it too, it says like, now you've saved just by doing that, you've saved an extra like 40 bucks in interest or something. And like, that is so motivating to me. So what worked for you?
1: I love that we basically have the same kind of story there, right? Because like, okay. we're, we're like I'm say, like the one that we didn't go out to eat, we just put it on a you know, credit yeah. card, right? Because you're like, I see where this is going and you get excited about it. We didn't use anything. We just use Excel. So your spreadsheet is probably okay. a great tool for people to use. You know, Here's one thing I would suggest. When you talked about trying to make that decision, and it kind of reminded me, when you talked about like, I'm making the decision whether I'm going to pay off my house early or not. I'm a big believer when you have it, once you get that consumer debt out of the way, at least pay a double principal payment. So, okay. Uh, so, for example, like let's say you have a 30-year note on your home and let's say you're more let's say you got a great rate and your mortgage is 200 is $2,000 a month, right? The majority of that probably that's 11, I think
0: it's like 2100. So There you go,
1: right? Perfect. So I'm just kind of pulling average numbers out, right? So let, if you go look at your mortgage statement, what you'll see is probably like everybody's numbers are different depending on where you are in that loan payoff process, what your loan is, what your escrow is. But for example, let's say you have $1,200 that's going towards interest, which is what happens early. You have another, like, let's say four or 500 that's going towards escrow, that's your insurance and your taxes. And how much is actually going down on principal? It's maybe like 400, 400 bucks. So yeah. every time I pay $2,000, I only put $400 towards the balance of the mortgage. So now you got, like, and you mentioned this earlier, you got to pay your insurance and taxes and you got to pay the principal, right? Or you got to pay everything. But like, so I'm a big favor of, even if you're going to say, I'm not, I don't, I do want to buy another rental property. I do want to buy an investment income. Maybe I want to put it in the market. I would challenge people to say, okay, you just freed up this much cash flow. You at least should make a double principal payment. So look at that mortgage, look at your mortgage payment and say, what is my principal? Now pay $2,400 on your, on your mortgage. Let's say you are let's say you have a $2,000 mortgage payment and your principal payment's $400. So once you get that consumer debt out of the way, pay $2,400 on your mortgage. Every time you pay that $2,400, you just took an pay, entire payment off the backside. You just save yourself that 1100 bucks in interest.
0: So just to clarify, you're not saying I should start paying 4200 a month on nope. that. Just add the actual principal amount. That yeah, is such a good strategy because I think people think like double payments and it's like, okay, that's yeah. not possible. I'm already paying 50% yeah. of my entire paycheck.
1: Mm-hmm. That's it. And if, and if you could pay a double payment, if you think about that, what you really did, you really paid like six payments at once because you took like five payments off the backside.
0: That's really how much it adds up. That's crazy. Now it's
1: gonna it's gonna get different over time, right? So as you get closer to paying off the mortgage, the insurance becomes less and less. So if right. you look at your amortization table, like your insurance starts really high and it goes goes down. So what what I did is we looked at it. We you know you set up a bill pay, right? Hey, my I'm I'm twenty one hundred bucks is coming out of my account every month. Yep. You know only four hundred is going towards the principal. I got my consumer debt out of the way. I'm gonna start putting twenty five hundred a month on my mortgage. At the end of each year, just look at it and evaluate it. The next year it may be 450, 475. Exactly. And hopefully you're in a better position to where like upping it by another 50 bucks or another 75 bucks a month isn't that big of a deal.
0: Yeah. And I would hope that with inflation too, you're making more money, you've gotten a raise, something like that, and you do have a little bit more to toss. You've gotten rid of the consumer debt, you have even more. So yeah, it's I, I think that it looks daunting when you plan out the entire when you plot out the 30 years worth, but I it really does like every incremental payment. I was even just playing with my spreadsheet and I was like, if I just add an extra 50 bucks on top of my payment, what does that do? And it literally shaved off a year, just that 50 bucks a month. I won't even notice that mm-hmm. in my account. Uh-huh. So yeah, it just makes me like, really think like, do I need that Starbucks or can I put five bucks here? Yeah, it. it's been, it's
1: been it's, fun. It is kind of, it gets a little miserable when you start thinking about it from that perspective, like, oh, should I not go get it? Should I not add the extra taco? Like if getting that Starbucks once a week really makes you happy, it's probably not the end of the world. But look at it from a big big picture, right? Hey, if you're spending two hundred bucks a month on Starbucks, you probably should make a change because it's probably better than paying
0: And a hundred a month instead. A month. You can still have it, but right. put the other hundred towards this.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah go, go, to Nerd Wallet, go to NerdWallet, plug in your, you know, get your, you know, pull up that payoff calculator and then look at it and say, Hey, this is my payment. This is how much is going to interest? This is how much is going to have your mortgage statement ready. This is how much is going towards my escrow, my insurance, and my taxes. And then just kind of play with that and say like, if I've made an extra 100 bucks a month or 500 bucks a month or $700 a month, what does that do? How soon can I pay that off? Look at that mortgage payoff calculator. And it's pretty amazing. And then you're going to be like, you know, I think that's more of a motivation than just saying like, hey, now I have an extra 50 bucks in my budget. No, it's like now I ended up saving myself. You know, if you pay off your mortgage 10 years early on a $2,100 a month payment, that's $210,000. Now, of course, you got to pay, still pay your insurance and taxes. Yeah, but so, but maybe it's one hundred fifty thousand dollars that you saved yourself. What can you do with one hundred fifty thousand? I can go get another investment property for one hundred fifty thousand.
0: I mean, we could literally retire like years earlier, you know, without having. It, it's crazy when you think about it. Why? Why are you working? Yes, it's because you want to go on vacations and buy nice things. But ultimately, it's just paying to have a place to live and you know have have shelter and like pay these debts and stuff. And when that's freed up, I can't imagine how it's just like hey, we can kind of retire whenever we want. Like, there's just a lot more freedom with that.
1: And I think the other, the other cheat code, if you will, to, you know, to retiring early, to enjoying life is really contentment. And I think we get this kind of lifestyle creep that's very easy to do. And you mentioned like, hey, you are going to get raises throughout life, right? You're going to get a better job. You're going to make more money. And what most people do is like, hey, over the last 10 years, I make, I make an extra $50,000 per year. What do we do? We buy nicer cars, we buy nicer houses, and- the money left at the end of the month is the exact same. And so, like, can we be content with where we are? And, you know, like, like you know, when I tell people I live at the beach, they're like, what? You live at the beach? Well, I live in a condo. Me and my, we live in a 1,200-square-foot condo. It's not huge. It's just me and my wife. We don't have kids. Sometimes when it's cold in the winter, this place gets really small. But that's okay, right? Because, like, I can still walk downstairs, and I'm standing in the sand. You know, I eat seafood three, four nights a week because that's what we eat down here, Right. You know, last night I went out and, you know, I had fish tacos. I sat a, you know, with some fresh fish tacos. It was amazing. And, but it's, but I didn't need to have the beach house. I didn't need to go buy a $6 million place on the beach. Like I got a condo that's, it's very nice. And I'm, but to me, it was like that was more important to me than working another six, seven, eight years of my life so I could have a house rather than a condo. Like what, what am I content with? And I think everybody has different things, you know, things like that to support to them. It's like, do you really need, you know, when you get that raise and you make another $100,000, let us say you get that massive raise, that new job, and you make another $100,000 a year, what do most people do? They move to a bigger house. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Th- and what's even more frustrating is they start that mortgage o- over. All now, over. 30 years yeah. in, and they've already paid, let's say they get it down to 23 years, just paying a minimum payment. Well, then they buy that bigger house so they can afford it, but they just added seven years on the end.
0: Mm-hmm. And that whole time, if you only lived in the house for like seven years, you didn't even make a dent in the principal. It was all interest payments before you moved and started the whole cycle over again.
1: By the time you pay a real estate agent, you know buying and selling, like you're you're done.
0: Yeah,
1: all the equity you built.
0: Yeah, I think that's what's been opening my eyes a lot. And it's uh, again, this was I know I ruffled feathers, and I'll probably get DMs after this episode. But a lot of people were like, Natalie, that's stupid. Like invest in this instead. But I think that there just is a different logically, you can tell yourself, you know, oh, I have an extra two grand a month that I'm going to put towards my debt or something. I should just invest it instead or buy this. Are you really actually doing that? Because the lifestyle creep is so real. And I think you can tell yourself that story. But when you pay down your debt, that is a guaranteed return. You know that you are shaving off interest. You know that you are shaving off time. You know that you're guaranteeing your freedom on the other end but just having this like narrative you tell yourself of like oh no 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 I'm not going to do that because I know that I'm making better investments are you really like yes maybe the numbers will pan out but I think a lot of people tell themselves that story without without actually doing it
1: yeah, and and I don't think there's one you know going back to our original question stock market or investment property there's no wrong there's no I don't think there's one answer I think the answer is both yeah diversify what's allocation percentage look like for you like I do both I'm putting 15% of my money in the market I'm also taking all my rental income and I'm reinvesting that back into into my investments mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but both I, you know, that's that's the proper answer yeah i'm mm-hmm. not i am going to pay off my place early but in the meantime i'm still putting a chunk of my my income into the market
0: david my last question for you after you officially paid off your primary residence what like what felt different how did you was there like a moment of just like wow we we did it or was it just kind of like okay we've been working at this for so long we knew we would reach this point it's kind of normal like what happened
1: You know, you kind of have, I don't know what the word to describe it, but it's, there's a lot of people that have a miserable job that they hate because they have a big mortgage. Mm -hmm. And they think like, if I quit this job, if I go take a job doing something that I love rather than something that makes me a lot of money, like, what am I going to do about my house? I got this mortgage paid. When you're in the position where like, well, now I got to come up with 400 bucks a month for taxes and insurance. I don't have to go work a job that I'm miserable at just because I'm trying to pay my mortgage. And you also get the peace of mind. Like I, like I mentioned before, there's been two different times when both me and my wife have both been laid off at the same time. Like when that happens, it's really not that big a deal. Were you
0: debt free at that point?
1: Yeah, it was debt. Well, the first time we were not first time we were not. We had just, we had just paid off all our consumer debt when it happened the first time. And so think about that, right? Like, well, now I have whatever my consumer debt was. Well, now I can use that to pay my mortgage. You know, mm-hmm. so it was it was tough. And it's one one of the things going back to the Dave Ramsey thing is you start off you get you you, you start off with an emergency fund. Every you know you put a thousand dollars. That's that's the first step. So that's when you know I get a flat tire in my car and doesn't ruin it, so I can't make my mortgage payment. So you you do the thousand dollars, you get rid of your consumer debt, then you save three to six months of your income. That's the next step before you even attack your mortgage is you save another three to six months of your income. That's one step that I've kind of left out through this process. And so both times that we've got laid off, like you have that cushion that gives you time to go find the job. And there's been times, there was a time about four years ago where like I was working a job that was miserable and I was able to leave it because I don't have a mortgage. I don't have to worry about it. So- what a feeling does it gives you, gives you that. Like, I'm not going to go, I'm not just going to deal with this crap anymore. Like, I'm done. I
0: have chills listening to this. Like, that's just, that's the part that you can't quantify. You can talk all day about, you know, I don't know, haggle over 0.5% interest rates and, like, what makes sense over 30 years and stuff. But that, you can't put a price on that. So that's incredible. Yeah. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on and just being so generous with all your knowledge and everything. Uh, we will link Nerd Wallet below. I also I've been using actually Wealthfront is the tool that I've been using. Yes, I think right. it's similar to Nerd Wallet, but I I absolutely love it. So I'll link that below too. And then I'll put my spreadsheet I've been using. And I just even if you have no desire to pay off your mortgage, all I would say if there's one thing you're going to do from this, download that spreadsheet and just like put in the interest rate and the payments sure. and just have the schedule lined out and. Just put in, like, what happens if you put an extra 50 bucks a month on it? You will see, like, how many months it shaves off the payment. I think it's very motivating. So, yeah. yeah if if anybody wants to
1: that. send me a message, feel free. Whether that's, you know, you you, you you need some advice, you're trying to figure it out, or you want to, you want to argue about uh, the mortgage or <laughs> your mortgage versus your stock market, I'll do that with you, too.
0: Yeah, if you want to debate any of us, you know where to find us. We'll <laughs> right. We'll link David's Instagram. You know where to find me, and you can come tell us that we're dead wrong on this.
1: <laughs> that's right. Well, thanks, Natalie. It's been it's been a lot of fun, and uh, hopefully, this inspires some people to, uh, you know, hey, pay off some debt, and then figure out a way to go make some money, and uh, you know, go retire early and do something you're passionate about.
0: I love it. Thank you so much.
1: Awesome. Thanks, now.
0: And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole? This one hits close to home. This one hits different because it happened to me, okay? I did not have to scour Reddit or Facebook for what I'm about to read you. I'm going to read you some screenshots between an interaction I had with a guest, okay? Uh, Experienced and seasoned hosts, you will see the red flags right out of the gate. Anyone brand new, you might think, oh, she seems like she's being a lovely guest up front. What's the problem? But if, you, if you've been doing this for a while, you'll know the red flags. Let's go. So Monday night, I get an inquiry. Just an inquiry, okay? She says, hi, Natalie. I'm a realtor and home stager for the homes I sell. And so your home is the most appealing to me of the two bedrooms I found. That's red flag number one, by the way. Anytime that they try to like fluff your ego about the property, red flag. I just started hosting myself. And I'm wondering if you can give a fellow host a discount. Red flag number two. I'm coming with my son and his girlfriend before she leaves for Boston for the holidays. We are only staying two nights. Please let me know if we can get a little bit better price than over $300 a night. Thank you so much. Red flag number three, asking for a discount. And red flag number four is trying to justify the discount by saying we're only staying two nights. 95% of my reservations are two night stays, okay? So that that means nothing to me. Okay, we've got four red flags in that message, all right? Four red flags. Experienced hosts, you know this. If you're new, again, you might think that I'm being too sensitive. Just wait. Just wait. There were four red flags. Last thing I'll add is she inquired for three guests, her son, son's girlfriend, and three pets. Three pets, okay? Okay. I respond to the inquiry. Hi, thanks for reaching out. We do not offer any discounts during our peak winter season. I also want to let you know that our cleaning team requires we charge a $25 pet fee per pet, so it would be an additional $75 for your reservation. Very clear, okay? She doesn't respond, doesn't say anything. The next day, almost 24 hours later, I had sent her pre-approval to book. The next day almost 24 hours later, she accepts the pre-approval, like right before it expires. So the booking is confirmed. I say, hello, let's give her a fake name, Um, Lily. Hi, Lily, we're so excited you chose our home for your Big Bear visit. I will send you the check-in instructions the morning of your arrival and check-in is anytime after 3 p.m. I also just sent a request for the additional pet fees. It may have gone to your email inbox. Let me know if you have any questions. No response. Five or so hours later... Lily responds, Natalie, I am afraid I made a very big mistake. I thought it meant we were leaving the 19th. My son and I and his girlfriend are coming for two nights, the 17th and the 18th. I hope you will not charge me for making this mistake. She booked December 17th through 19th, meaning check in on the 17th, stay the 18th, leave on the 19th. She booked exactly the dates. She booked the 17th through the 19th. And then she says, I'm afraid I made a very big mistake. I thought it meant we were leaving the 19th. We are coming for two nights, the 17th and the 18th. I hope you will not charge me for this mistake. What mistake? You booked exactly what you're telling me you wanted to book. And this is where I was very confused because she told me in her first message, she's a fellow host and she doesn't know how the dates look on Airbnb. She doesn't know that booking the 17th through the 19th means she's staying the 17th, the 18th and checking out the 19th. Very strange. And then she says, My son keeps texting me that he says it was supposed to be 127 per night and we got charged almost 750. What is going on? We are only staying the 17th and the 18th. We are very excited to stay in your beautiful little place. So many problems with this. What is this? My son keeps texting me that he says it was supposed to be 127 per night and we got charged almost 750. Do you guys remember her very first message to me? Her very first message said, please let me know if we can get a little bit better price than over 300 a night. Thank you so much. And what did I say? I said, hello, thanks for reaching out. We do not offer any discounts during our peak winter season. And then I sent pre-approval and she booked it. So what is this now? What is this now coming around saying, my son said it was supposed to be $127 per night? What? You told me in your very first message to me, can you do better than 300 a night? And I said, no, and you booked. So why are you confused now saying it was supposed to be 127 a night? Huh? I responded and I said, hi, Lily. The nights you reserved are priced at 227 per night. That's also the other thing I didn't even mention to you guys. The night was 227 a night. When she originally messaged me saying like over 300 a night, I assumed that's just because of the fees and everything that were added on. So I didn't really bother correcting her because at the end of the day, that's the price she saw was over three hundred a night. So whatever. But truly, we actually had those nights priced at two twenty seven a night. Okay. So I say the nights you reserved are priced at two twenty seven a night, and then Airbnb added the cleaning fee, service fees, and taxes to the reservation. I attached a screenshot of the payment breakdown, and I'm gonna read you guys the screenshot. Okay. Do the math if you want to follow along. Two twenty seven times two nights. $454, cleaning fee, $100, guest service fee, which we know that is Airbnb's fee, I have no control over, $81, occupancy taxes, which I have no control over that is set by my city, $46, property use taxes, again, I have no control over that, $16, and pet fee, $25, because since she indicated three pets, one pet fee got charged at the time of check-in. And then I sent her an additional request for $50 for two more pets. That's the breakdown. Okay. So it added up to $723, but it was $227 a night plus $100 cleaning fee, $25 pet fee. That's all standard. That is all standard. And I can tell you guys $100 cleaning fee in Big Bear. I'm not kidding when I say I probably have the cheapest cleaning fee in all of Big Bear most cleaners for a property of my size you will not find a cleaner that does less than 125 more realistically between 150 to 175 the only reason I'm able to charge that cheap is because we have 10 units we give our cleaner so we negotiated with her since she gets like bulk properties all together at the same condo complex to do it for less so that is the cheapest cleaning fee you're gonna find on the mountain okay very, very reasonable here. The Airbnb fees and the taxes, that's out of my control. And if this girl's a fellow host, she should know that. And then I said, you did book the correct nights. I have you confirmed for check-in 1217 after 3 p.m. Check out 1219 by 11 a.m. This is a two-night reservation for the nights of the 17th and the 18th. This girl responds, I am simply not willing to pay any more than it showed what we are paying. I am sorry. If you want to cancel it, that's okay. But I think your prices are just too high. When you add in the property use taxes, the occupancy taxes, the dog fees, etc, etc, we aren't even going to be spending time in the condo. So almost $800 for two nights is excessive. Girl, what? I am not willing to pay any more than it showed. It showed you the exact breakdown at the time of booking. Like, I don't, I don't even know what she's talking about. It showed you that exact breakdown at the time of booking. So what do you mean? You're not willing to pay more than what you paid? Huh? I respond. At this point, I got sassy, okay? I said, the final pricing breakdown was shown before booking. So you would have been able to review all fees before payment was made. You are welcome to cancel on your end if you are unhappy with your choice. Girl, I am not canceling you because you saw every single line item breakdown and then had buyer's remorse after the fact. Then this girl has the audacity to say, then I don't get a refund, correct? You are a tough one. FYI, I would never treat guests like this. I am kind and flexible to my guests and I have never charged all those fees that you are charging. I am not going to bicker with you. I should have known not to book with you. It says 723 dollars total. That is what we will pay. And then at this point i freaking wanted her gone i was not going to cancel her but i wanted her gone so i said if you can cancel tonight i will override to make sure you receive a full refund she wouldn't get a full refund because we have strict policy and she booked within like 12 days of the reservation and then i said if you choose to keep the reservation there will also be an additional 50 dollar pet fee for the two extra pets which was disclosed to you prior to booking and honestly that i just basically threw in because at this point i was like i am not hosting this psycho um she needs to freaking refill like her xanax prescription or something i'm I'm not dealing with her until she can get her meds balanced so at that point i kind of threw that in just to be like no you need to cancel because i will chase you down for those extra 50 bucks she responds and said i canceled but it is only showing a partial refund and i said i just processed a manual refund of the remaining amount I'm not sure when exactly Airbnb issues the refund. So for any questions about payment processing, I would call Airbnb customer service. Thank you. The end of the saga, okay? She canceled. Thank God I do not have to host this mad woman, okay? I'm honestly, please, can a pharmacist, like, check in on the balance of her prescription because what is going on here? Four red flags. Four red flags from our first message. Four red flags. We're all there. Here's where things... Get extra juicy, okay? I had to know about this woman's listing because she kept saying, I'm a host. I would never treat guests like this. I'm a fellow host. Can I get a discount? I had to go track down her listing, found it, and I pretended to make a booking, okay? I went through the steps as if I was booking her place, okay? Can I read you a breakdown of the fees of her listing? All right. First of all, her listing is a private room in her house in her primary residence she has a private room rental she's charging 105 a night for that private room with attached bathroom our place that she booked was 227 a night for an entire condo two bed two bath full kitchen private listing you have the entire place to yourself the value is completely freaking on par she's charging 105 a night for just one bedroom One private room rental with a bathroom. I'm charging $227 for two bedrooms, two baths, full kitchen, living room, dining room, front deck, back deck. Okay, the value that my place is compared to hers, come on. Like for her to complain about my pricing. Okay, that's number one. So I go through the steps, right? And I was like, okay, let's just make a booking $105 for two nights, total $210. Cleaning fee, $45, which again, $45 for one bedroom and one bathroom. Mine is 100 bucks for an entire freaking condo. Better value than she has, okay? Airbnb service fees on this were going to be $36. Taxes, $30, bringing the total to $321. Does anybody want to follow along with the math right here? Have my pen, freaking taking notes, okay? So, the nightly rates combined... 210 divided by 321. Who wants to do the math on that? 210 divided by 321. 65%. Okay? Meaning that the nightly rate is 65% of the total cost. In my case, 227 times two nights, 454, divided by, it charged her 723. 454 divided by 723 puts us at 63%. Okay? Okay? identical her nightly rate was came out to 65 dollars of the total value of the reservation mine came out to 63 we are we are apples and apples like we are so comparative the only thing that would have made it additional was i was going to charge more for those pets which was disclosed before she even booked literally the very first message i sent back to her when she was still in her pre-booking phase in her inquiry was We don't offer discounts during our winter season, and just so you know, you will be paying three pet fees for three pets. All disclosed, and she chose to accept the pre-approval. So how can this woman pretend to be shocked? We are exactly the same. And her whole thing, I would never, I treat my guests kindly and compassionately. I would never give them the same fees. Girl, I went to your fucking listing. We are exactly the effing same, okay? This breakdown is exactly the same. I would argue that the value of my property is light years ahead of hers. She's charging 105 for one bed, one bath. I'm charging 227 for an entire effing cabin. It's so frustrating. So frustrating. Here's the cherry on top of this entire thing. As I was going through, pretending to make a fake bucking on her listing so I could see the breakdown of the fees. I also went in to add a pet because I was curious what her pet fee is. And look what pops up. This place has a maximum of two guests, not including infants. Pets are not allowed. This lady, this lady, she wants to give me shit for my freaking pet fees when she won't even allow pets in her listing. Why is she not allowing pets? It's because she knows that pets are messy. They shed. There's a higher liability with them. She knows that, which is why she doesn't want to allow them. But she expects me to host three pets for free. (laughs) I can't. I can't. I can't. (sighs) I'm so rattled by this woman. I don't know why she got under my skin so much. Honestly, I should just be relieved the moment that the cancellation came through. I got nervous, you guys. I got nervous that she was going to try and be stubborn and like hold the reservation just to leave me a bad review in the value category or something. Which again is why I reiterated like I will come after you for those extra 50 bucks. I will. So freaking cancel. So thank god she did. I don't know why I'm so worked up about this. I don't have to host her. She can't leave a review. But oh my god, it infuriated me so much. Like to the point where I went psycho stalker and had to like go find her listing and pretend to make a fake booking so I could see the breakdown of fees and everything. But I just, I was so upset. I was so upset because for her to be a fellow host and then firstly try to use that as a way to get a discount, which I just think host to host, like, don't pull that shit. Don't pull that shit. You wouldn't want somebody asking you for a discount. So don't pull that shit with other hosts. So that, first of all. And then the second part of like, ah, I would never charge the fees you do. Girl, we are identical. Our nightly rate in proportion to the fees that were added on is identical. Yours is 65% minus 63 <sighs> I need to relax. I need to relax. This is raising my blood pressure. In conclusion, she is the Airbnb hole. Not me. I did nothing wrong. Every single fee, tax, service fee, as annoying as it is and as much as I think Airbnb could even stand to take their fees down and as much as the taxes piss me off being as high as they are. All of those are disclosed at the time of booking. And as a fellow host, she should freaking know that. So then to put it on me, (laughs) you are a tough one, FYI. Oh, hmm. She is the Airbnb hole. I handle myself with absolute grace, class, and aplomb. I did nothing wrong in this situation. And please, for the love of God, can this woman's son and girlfriend, the people in her life who are close to her, can you guys please make sure that she gets an edible or something? Please. Like for the sake of society, we cannot have this woman running around rampant, terrorizing innocent people that she has to interact with on a daily basis. Please, can you guys make sure that her prescription gets refilled correctly or that she gets an edible in her? Thank you. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review, so you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye!